just past 7 o'clock, and boy, wouldn't you know, it's time for Iron Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, what do you know? There's only one football game left in the season. Very depressing. Extremely depressing. This has been a great college and pro football season, and it's sad that we're not going to have football. We have to wait till September to have uh, real football after. I don't really even consider this a role of football. It's more of a, a different type of day. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more of the spectacle than the game. You want to know what I, my takeaway from this season, Ira? So all week, I'd say from week four through the end of the regular season, all we kept hearing is the NFC's wide open. Any team can win this out of the, the dozen at the top. AFC, only really two teams have a shot. NFC's wide open. It seems to me that we were wrong about that. As the season went on and when the playoffs started, it became pretty apparent that San Francisco was the team from the NFC. I don't think that anybody really had a shot as the way they were playing, whereas I think you could make a case for a, a few of the AFC teams down the stretch, even ones like the Ravens who were the one seed and didn't move on. The only thing I'm going to say about that is that I think if Seattle would have beat uh, Green Bay, I think Seattle had sort of the recipe. I would have liked to see Russell Wilson in that game. I, I thought that, and we're going to talk about this game later, we have so much to go over in terms of all the sports, but I felt, that Russ, I felt like the game last night, if Russell Wilson was in the game, I don't think you're going down 27 nothing. Like, I think you're staying in that game, or, and I think it's, it, it's a different type of game. And, and we saw that in the, in the regular season that it was much closer between them and uh, against uh, Green Bay, who, by the way, the combined score of the first halves of those two games between the regular season and their playoff game, 50 to nothing. <laughs> was a combined first half score. That's not a, a good sign. And uh, Green Bay never really stood a chance yesterday. We'll talk about that. Ira, good reason that you're not in studio because you were there. Tell us about this exciting week. Um, well, just an amazing week. On Monday, I went to the national championship game, uh, LSU-Clemson. And then uh, I went to a Clipper game in the middle of the week. And then on, on uh, Sunday, I went to the uh, 49ers versus the, uh, the Packers up in uh, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. And remember, last Saturday, I was at the Ravens-Tennessee Titans game. So this has been a tremendous week uh, of, of sports and uh, from coast to coast, and, and love it. You know, I, re I was thinking about this earlier, and, and I'm sure you have, and you might not even be able to remember, but have you ever been to two championship games in one week? You were at the national championship and the NFC championship game all, all within the same week. I went to, I think, the Steelers when the Steelers won the championship game and the national championship game. I was in that, but it's harder. It, it's not really this different now because of the playoff system. But I went to sort of a game that they considered that. And, well, not, it was actually it was played earlier then, so I would never have gone in the same week, but I've been in the same year. So, Ira, let's talk about uh, Martin Luther King Day is today. What is the um, magnitude or, or the, the trickle-down effect of Martin Luther King and how we you know, view sports today? I did some research on this. He really never played sports. I mean, he was not active in teams and things like that. I mean, he played certainly with, you know, with friends and everything. He was only known as a great pool player, so that counts as a sport to some extent. But he embraced, when he was uh, leading the, um, the charge for civil rights, he embraced people like Jackie Robinson, who was at the end of their career, and he embraced Ali. Even though Ali was part of the Nation of Islam, he worked with Ali. And also uh, Tommy Smith, Lee Evans, and John Carlos in the Olympics when they uh, protested at the Mexico City Olympics. So he was very involved, knew all the African-American athletes, and, and was, was a mentor to them and consulted with them a lot. And I think the one thing that he really pushed for was this colorblind society in terms of uh, and to get rid of so we can just look at, at people as what they are from their character. Their character is more important than the color of their skin. Or the only thing that's important is their character and nothing else. And I think that's what I love about sports uh, and what he loved about sports, too, is that it, it really is. It's one of those things that you integrate. We have teams that, I mean, when you think about LSU and Clemson, in 1971, uh, Loray Hinton was the first African-American player to play at LSU. Uh, Martin Reeves in 1970 was the first African-American player to go to Clem playing Clemson's team. And now, of course, there's African-Americans on both teams. Uh, and it's, I think what sports teaches you is that you can work with people. It brings people together to work for a common goal, winning. And that's how people can, and that's how whatever prejudices that you go into, and people might have grew up in an environment where they didn't know people from other different, from different uh, people, but actually working together on a school uh, gets rid of prejudice. You know, they, they become friends, they become people in, for a common cause. And also amongst fans, too. I mean, when you go to these stadiums now, it's, of course, integrated, and you're talking to people, and people all have, no matter even know what your political views are. Everybody's like, I love LSU, I love the team. The team is, we talked about the Nationals, and I'm going to say again about LSU, just galvanizing people. Team, whether you're Republican, Democrat, 
or whatever. It's a team that, is, that, that brings things together. And I think sports brings people together, and I think sports does teach valuable lessons in terms of working together and, and just ignoring everything else except the, the character of a person. Ira, let's get into it because uh, the national championship, the score may not have been as close as a lot of people thought it was going to be, but I still thought this was a great game. And like we said, you were there. Yeah, it was. We got off the show, and I literally walked down Bourbon Street. And that, <laughs> I love walking to stadiums. I mean, that to me is the greatest. I talk about going to Alabama this year and walking to stadium there. I mean, I don't like when I'm in Cleveland and it's a sterile atmosphere or Cincinnati and you're walking and it's like whatever. I mean, this was a great walk. I mean, you're going down Bourbon Street. It is the orange and white for Clemson and the purple and gold for LSU. Fans everywhere. They're on the balconies. You're, it's, it's a parade. It is a Mardi Gras parade. It is jazz, whatever you want to call it. It's a Mardi Gras parade to the stadium. And you walk through Bourbon Street for like, whatever, a mile and a half. And then you get past Bourbon Street. And then you still have another like mile to go to the Superdome. And it's just, they took over the entire street, everyone walking. And it's like two and a half hours before the game. And you get the Superdome, and everyone's lined up to get in. They're all trying to get in. I mean, the good thing about having gone to so many sporting events like I have, I know there's always an entrance that nobody's using. So I, like, ran around to the backside for, like, the VIP, VIP entrance. But it, you could actually run back there, and there was not a line. Went in there, and I got to give LSU – I mean, they've hosted so many events at the Superdome. I mean, it is one of the greatest uh, uh, venues ever. We, uh, you know, I've been there twice last year. I went to uh, – um, I went to the uh, uh, Steeler game, and also I went to the NFC Championship game. But it was, you know, they know what they're doing, they're hosting all the Super Bowls and the National Championship games. And it was just it, to go around and see them with all the, the merchandise tents set up. I mean, you could have bought more merchandise. I mean, I complained about the Citrus Bowl for Alabama, Michigan. You couldn't buy a program because the Boy Scouts went home early. <laughs> you could have bought programs, pins, shirts, hats. Everything. I mean, it is unbelievable. It was like a military operation how they were selling things. And, of course, everybody was buying everything. So it was, it was just great in terms of that. But you know what was good about this game and what I like it better than the Super Bowl? We're going to Super Bowl in Miami in two weeks. That it was really the fans and the hardcore fans, the Clemson and the LSU fans. And people really were into this. Like, this was, this was the fans that this was like they wanted this game. And each, each one thought they were going to win. It was like one of those things where everyone thought they were going to win. There were, but no one was fighting. No one was arguing. No one was, was beating each other up. It was just good-natured, college football, passionate fan base. And that's what you don't find at the Super Bowl. At the Super Bowl, it's so sterile. It's just suits. This was just passion and excitement everything and then and this is my third game that president trump was at in the past like month so he was there so you have, it's weird when you go through security and then you have secret service pat you down like you have to so you go through there and i had a good seat i sat on the 40 yard line 20 rows up i was able to get a fairly good deal on that and the superdome is elevated in a certain level it's it's an old stadium so it doesn't go straight up it goes sort of it's like a long so you don't want to be that low you'll be blocked but i like being down close and uh, it was neat for the warm-ups because we talked about a couple weeks ago how Baltimore was, like, warming up, and uh, they didn't really care. Boy, this game. They, I mean, you watch Clemson. It was – everything was perfect. They were focused. Lawrence was, like, throwing 60-yard bombs, like getting his arms straightened out, and like A-Rod and Jeter used to do for the Yankees. And Joe Burrow was, was just, again, pinpoint pass after pinpoint pass. And they both practiced their warm-ups at full speed. I mean, it's at game speed. So when you're sitting there that close and you're seeing how fast they go, it's just, oh, I can't – just it's amazing. And uh, it was that, so that was really exciting. The stadium was about 65%, 35% uh, uh, Clemson LSU fans. And it was packed like an, an hour and a half before the game. Uh, it was, you know, everyone was there. It was just, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. And then, you know, the bands come out. People are going, it, like anything that would happen, any, any video they showed up on a scoreboard, anything got the fans to get excited. So that was what I thought just – this game felt like, you know, just the national championship game. It felt as the importance it was, and I loved it. That, that, I love the atmosphere, and this clearly – you were not going to have this atmosphere in Miami. I guarantee it between the 49er fans and, and, and the Chiefs fans. They're, they're going to they're take 20% of the building. The rest of 85 – 70% of the people won't care. And that's what makes this game so much better. You want to know, Ira, I was going to ask you about that because you made the, the distinction of you know this not being the Super Bowl. So I get what you're saying with it being more suits. But, you know, I've never been to a Super Bowl game before. But I have been to the Pro Bowl when I was here in Miami like a decade ago. And I actually had a great time because there was no uh, rivalries and because everyone, you know, is Patriots fan next to Dolphins fan next to Giants fan. Everyone was just kind of coming together. I, for one, in, kind of enjoyed the atmosphere a little bit. Well, you should go to the draft. The NFL drafts are like that. I've been to, I think, 
12 NFL drafts, and they're similar to that in terms of the going, you know, in terms of people going. But even at the NFL draft, the fans are still passionate for the teams. Um, it's a little bit different. I mean, I think at a, at a Pro Bowl, people, it just the Super Bowl just brings out people that want, want to go to the parties and go to the, the game. But um, I, I just liked, I just like the passion of these fans. They they know everybody. I mean, you're sitting in the stands, and like they'll tell you the fifth uh, backup putter for Clemson. They'll know the fourth place kicker for LSU. Like they know everything. They know that the, the 16-year-old kid that's going to play there in five years. I mean, it's great. I love to talk to them. I mean, people are great to talk to when you go to games like this. I absolutely agree. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's 7:16. Let's talk about the game, Ira, because this was pitting, you know, um, the, the number one pick from this draft to what, who's probably going to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft. This had all the firepower that you'd hope for in a national championship. And I was wrong, and I was dead wrong. I, I, I was. I thought Clemson was going to win this, and I just. And I. But, but as, even though I'm saying I'm wrong, it gives me more appreciation for LSU. And we're going to talk about. We're going to go through the game, and then I want to talk about how I really believe this team could be considered one of the greatest, the, if not the greatest of all time. Like I think this was a signature win. I think Clemson is that good. I think when we look in the future and you see Tua as a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback and Trevor from Alabama, and but Trevor Lawrence is, as a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, for Clemson, and you're looking at that LSU beat both those quarterbacks this year, you're going to start looking back at this team. I think this team is people are going to look back at who they beat, when they beat them. We're going to go through those things. But I was impressed. Clemson played poorly, but uh, LSU made Clemson play poorly, and LSU had to come and make great plays. LSU played. I mean, this was a big-time game, and I don't know if there's any team. I, I guarantee you there's no other team that would be Clemson that day. Only LSU this year was the only team that could have gone out there and did what they did uh, to Clemson. So that's where I give the, you know, the impression. You know, I'm very impressed by that. Um, you know, you saw in the first half on the first play uh, uh, where they threw a good – Lawrence threw a good pass to Justin Ronce, and it was third and nine, and Lawrence is, is, is sacked. And he, and he did this a couple times. When you're there, you saw it. He tried to change the plays, and LSU was tricking Trevor Lawrence. LSU would pretend like they would move into one, he changed the play, and they would quickly move back into the other. And when he changed the play, it was the wrong play. So it, they did have a lot of problems with that, and I think that's what – I think Lawrence did get confused, as opposed to last year when Al, he you know, torched Alabama for 40-some points, throwing all over the place. I think LSU realized that let's change it really quick, let's show them something. They, they were very well prepared for that, and I think that's what, what hurt them. But then LSU, uh, they got the ball, and they, they, threw a, they threw a pass to Terrence Moss, Randy Moss's nephew, 30-yard pass, but was an eligible receiver downfield. And then Joe Burrow, two straight incompletions. And then Clemson gets the ball. They're three and out. Then LSU gets the ball back. And they go three and out. And I'm like watching this, and I'm like, <laughs> like, wait a second. These are the two most, uh, you know, explosive teams I've ever seen. Like, how do they both go, you know, no, they don't even move the ball in four series. Um, the one thing is Isaiah Timmons, Simmons, number 11. I, I said on the radio, like, all year I've been talking about him. You're going to see him get drafted in the top five. You saw in the game. I mean, he was all over the place against LSU. I mean, he was flying around. He was covering wide receivers. He was making every tackle. I'm just so impressed in a game like this with the magnitude how well he played. But, uh, but I was just amazed. But then finally, Lawrence threw to Galloway, 42 yards, tremendous play. And then he finished with that quarterback sneak. And then he went to the crowd, and, I, and people went nuts when he did it because they showed it on the screen where he blew kisses to the, uh, to the LSU fans, and they did not like it. I sat on the Clemson <laughs> side. But it was sort of like where they break between Clemson and LSU. It was, on, it was sort of that's where there was a mixture of Clemson and LSU fans, and everyone did not like that. I think it riled him up a little bit. But at that point in the game, Clemson had 112 yards uh, passing to LSU's eight. Uh, and then LSU gets the ball back, and Burroughs gets sacked again by Justin Foster. And, uh, but then after Clemson wasn't able to do anything, Burrow threw that 52-yard pass to Javar Chase, who had a tremendous game, and he burned A.J. Terrell uh, for Clemson. Now, this Terrell is, was supposed to be a first-round NFL choice coming in the draft, and Chase just destroyed him. I mean, Chase was amazing. And that pass sort of kept him in the game. And I, I want to compare this a little to the uh, Aaron Rodgers and whatever. It's like Burrow was, Burrow was not sharp at the beginning of the game, but he didn't make the mistakes, and he did the big play that he needed to to keep his team in the game, and that was important. But, uh, but Clemson came down, and uh, Lawrence had a drive that had the, where they kicked the field goal made it 10-7. Uh, but then LSU then goes three and out again. So LSU, with 12 minutes to go in the second quarter, they had the ball five times, and four were three and outs. And I'm like, my prediction was great. I knew Clemson was good, and I'm <laughs> waiting for Clemson to run away with this game. And, uh, and they did. They go four plays, Clemson to Ross, 
at the end, had two long runs, and then Higgins had this end around for a touchdown explosive. It's 17-7. Unlike Clemson is going to do what they did to Alabama. This is 42-14. This is a blowout. I mean, I was so confident. And it reminded me, I was thinking about basketball. This is a long time ago. 1983, Louisville and Houston. Louisville was number one. Houston was number two. Houston had Elijah Juan and Drexler. And it was sort of this type of game. And Louisville took this lead on Houston. And you're like, oh, man, like, that's amazing. They're both great. And then Houston just went on this, like, 20 to nothing run. Uh, Elijah Juan and Drexler it was, like, so impressive. And it, it's sort of like after they get up 17-7, that's when LSU went to work. I mean, Burrow was just – he threw uh, a 16-yard pass, and then he threw to Chase a 56-yard pass down to the three, and then he ran in for another touchdown, made it 17-14. Uh, it was so funny. In front of me, there did have a little fight. A woman was cheering for Clemson, and finally, and she was getting a little obnoxious, and then an LSU player, LSU fans yelled at her, and that was when I had to little be careful. I mean, they had to move her around because that, that's the only time where it sort of got a little like, okay, now we're really in a game. It's not just fun anymore. And then, uh, and then Clemson, they, they got the ball back, so they're still up 17-14, but then Lawrence just started throwing these incompletions. He had three straight incompletions, and then LSU had the ball in their own 13. Burrow was running. He did everything, and then he threw another pass to Chase, making it 21-17 with two minutes to go. What does Clemson do? Lawrence, three more incompletions. LSU gets the ball back. Three minutes to go in half on their five-yard line. They had a 95-yard draft drive. Third and 19, uh, and a third and five, and a third and 10, they convert. Burrow was running. I mean, just, this is very much Patrick Mahomes-like. If he's not going to throw the 50-yard pass or the great pass or whatever, he's just going to run, and he's just tremendous. And up 28-17, three straight touchdown drives. Uh, just he, he had 359 yards in the half. Burrow was 16 for 28 for 270 70 yards, and Chase was six for 162 uh, with two touchdowns. It was just one of the most amazing, you know, performances where Joe Burrow realized this game was slipping away, and for him to be down 10 and spot, you know, 17-7 and come back was just tremendous. So I, I, don't, I don't know how you felt about that opening half, but I was, I was texting you. I'm like, I was right. I was right about Clemson, and then it just totally <laughs> turned. But just like Mahomes, when Mahomes was down 24 nothing to Houston the week before, and then he was able to turn it back and take the lead in the second half. What, what I learned more from the first half, Ira, and it's something you've been preaching for a while on this show, is exactly what you said just a minute ago. Isaiah Simmons is a, going to be a superstar, and looking at where the Giants draft, they can trade back and maybe still acquire him. Ira, he reminds me of a guy you'd see on Pittsburgh. He, he just that kind of intensity where the guy's involved in every play. Uh, he's higher up on draft boards for me. They have him around five to eight on, on a lot of these pro draft boards. I'd have him going too after Chase Young. After what I saw, um, you want to talk about the second half? And I also want to say about the speed. These teams play at super speed. They go to the line. They call the plays fast. Bro calls fast. I was at the San Francisco Green Bay game. They don't play at that speed. I mean, no. that's how impressed I am. They, these, te- these two college teams played at – and I watch Penn State games, and I know they don't play at this speed. And Ohio State does. I mean, this speed is unbelievable. Like, to go to the line, they call Javar Chase when he broke from that line, I mean, it's just like he exploded down the field. Like, I, there's nobody in the NFL that I see besides Terry Kill uh, for Kansas City that can just go and, and break so quickly. I mean, it's just that was what – but Simmons on defense was just matching. Like, it's like Clemson's defense matched LSU's that speed. And I'm like, okay, that's what I thought was going to happen, and he's running around. But then it's just – it's that he got breakdowns in their secondary, Chase, but Burroughs' throws were amazing. I mean, I, I watched the game again on TV. I was there live watching TV. I mean, like, those were NFL – were Tom Brady, Aaron. I mean, these were tremendous throws. I mean, it, they just, he was tremendous. But in the second half, uh, Clemson, uh, LSU went three and out to start of them. And then, uh, but then Lawrence went, Lawrence came down, and I'm like, okay, this is their chance. They drive down there, they get, make it 28 23. He goes for two, and it's 28 25. So you're like, okay, LSU, you know, Clemson righted the ship. It's all, it, was all, it was a mess. They were down. So I'm like, okay, Clemson's going to do what they did to Alabama. Because over last year, they went and just blew out Alabama, and that's the end of the third and fourth quarters. But then and, and, and at one point, Simmons sacked Burrow again. You know, Clemson had five sacks on the game, and LSU couldn't convert. So I'm like, this is where, in the middle of that third quarter, I'm like, this is where Clemson just takes control. But Clemson, Lawrence just could not complete those short passes. I mean, that's where LSU's defense, and I didn't give them enough credit. They were just stopping them on those, on those plays. And then it just became a mess because Burrow had these two good runs that he had a 43-yard pass to Chase. You think I'm just repeating this, but he just keeps throwing <laughs> these long bombs to Chase. It's just unbelievable. 
unbelievable. And that's when they got um, uh, James uh, Skalski for Clemson got ejected for targeting. I thought that was a terrible call. To eject a player in a championship game, I mean, it has to be egregious. And he's, the, he's their leading tackler for Clemson, and it's the biggest game of his life. I mean, I just don't I – don't, I hate the rule generally. And I mean, eject Vontaze Burfitt. You don't eject James Skalski was just trying to make a, a, a normal tackle. But then Burrow threw a touchdown pass, 35-25. And then uh, – Clemson had gone three straight series, no first downs. In the third quarter, quarter Lawrence was one for 10 for 25 yards. And then after, even, even though they missed a field goal, LG missed a field goal, they went down and threw another touchdown pass to Terrence Moss, so it's 42-25. And uh, Clemson tried. I mean, Clemson threw that one pass to Higgins there that he scored on, uh, but it was called offensive pass interference. And then, uh, and then, it, and then, um, then LSU – see, the smart thing is they did exactly what San Francisco did yesterday. They just took time off the clock, five minutes off the clock, just getting first downs between Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and uh, then they, gave, they just punted back. Clemson gets the ball back. Lawrence is, you know, he fumbles. I mean, he's trying to do something. He's down 17 points. He's trying to make something happen. He fumbles. And then what LSU does, they get the ball eight plays, 48 yards, and just uh, kneels it down and, and wins the game. I mean, they could have made it uh, 49-25. But the game was closer. Into the th- up until the middle of the third quarter, it could have been anyone's game. So, but, again, LSU was like they just poured it on there at the end, and that's exactly what they uh, – just super impressed uh, with them. I mean, Lawrence ended up with uh, 234 yards, but he's only 18 for 37. The problem was they shut down Higgins. He was only 3 for 52. Grant Delphin, who was the cornerback for LSU, played great in the secondary. Chase, nine catches, 221 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Patrick Queen for LSU had eight tackles, two and a half for a loss. The key stat the whole game, there's two stats. LSU had 628 yards on Clemson's defense. I mean, Clemson does that like in three games. They gave up that many yards. And Clemson was one for 11 on third down. One for 11. With a team like that, I mean, they were averaging like 40, 50% all year, and they're one for 11. So that's really what, uh, what was just a, just a disaster for them. You want to know, it's funny, Ira. And, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence didn't play his best game. And if he had... Who knows what the final score here would have been? We've seen him play better. He played better in the national championship last year. So I've asked you this question on this show probably five times, and I think we'll continue to discuss it for the next decade. You still want Trevor Lawrence? If they were both in the draft tomorrow, would you still take Lawrence over Burrow? Uh, yes, I take Lawrence over Burrow, but they're both going to be great. I mean, I think this is Elway Marino. Like, I mean, it's like that level. I, it's like they're so good. Burrow is going to be tremendous, and he's going to go number one. And if, if Cincinnati would give the pick away, they should just be. They should lose their franchise. Like, <laughs> I, I don't care. Like, I don't know. Like, my question to you is, who would you offer? Like, what team? You you offer Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. If I'm Cincinnati, I don't make a trade. I don't make a trade. Patrick Mahomes is the only. Yeah, quarterback. Mahomes. Mahomes is the only quarterback where if I was if I was. Uh, if I was Cincinnati, I'd say, I'll make that trade. He's the only one. That's how good I think Joe Burrow is. I mean, I heard these commentators say, well, he's, uh, he's okay, he's average, he's this and that. He, uh, are, uh, do you watch him? Do you watch Mahomes? Like, just watch the games. He does exactly what Mahomes. And he has the touch of passes. When he's in trouble, he knows how to run. He knows how to avoid. I mean, that one play when Simmons was chasing him down, and he outran Isaiah Simmons, who runs like a 4-3-40. Like, Burrows is big, strong, tough, throws great passes, smart, quick. What more do you want for a quarterback? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is what you want. I mean, that's the comparison. But I still like Lawrence. I still think Lawrence has everything. I just like his arm is a little... I just... I like them both. I think they're... It's 1-1-A. I just think Lawrence just is a little more overall talent. And he's also younger. Lawrence is only 20 years old, and Burrow is, uh, is 23. But they're both tremendous. And they're both quality individuals, quality people. Uh, everything. I mean, you, you go there, and I mean, everyone... Lo- he does everything right. He is, and in the, in the speech after the game, you know how I love those speeches, he's thanking everybody in the, in, the, in the LSU program. He went through everybody. He said the dining room attendants, like, we eat our food and, and everything's done right and, and they make sure everything's comfortable and the tutors make sure everything's good and, and everyone who works with the team, he went through the secretaries and everything. It was just, it's just like a, he gets it. Like, he understands it. He appreciates people. He's such a great guy. Like that, and Lawrence is the same thing, but that's what you want. If you're an NFL team and you're like, I'm going to pay a guy $35 million, I'm going to draft a number one, you want a guy like that. You want someone who does everything right and says everything and does those things. I mean, that's the kind of leader you want. Like, Patrick Mahomes does the same thing. No, absolutely. I, I agree with you, and I do think that is the one knock. Burrow, like you said, he he looks like a pro. He throws the ball like a professional quarterback. I don't think people realize he's older than Lamar Jackson, <laughs> who's got two years in the league already. So not, not that that's a knock on him. You can only be you know as good as your age, but just the fact that Trevor Lawrence is younger probably gives him in the head up here because who knows what he'll look like um, in three years. Anything else you want to touch on in this game before we uh, move on? Yeah, I just want to say is uh, I think that this is why 
they, they're the best team. Uh, their, their resume is good. They beat number two Clemson, who was 14-1-1 in the Peach Bowl. They, beat, uh, they didn't play Ohio State. They beat Georgia, who finished number four in the AP poll. Uh, they were 12-2. and two. They, beat or- they didn't play Oregon. They beat Florida, number six, who won the Orange Bowl. They won Oklahoma, the Big 12 winner, who was number seven. They beat number eight, Alabama, who, won the- who was 11-2, won the Citrus Bowl. So they beat five of the next best seven teams. Plus, they beat Auburn, and they won at Texas. I mean, that is just an amazing resume. Besides Oregon and Ohio State, I mean, they beat every best team in every other conference and, 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 and had the win against Alabama with signature. This win was a signature win. And people talk about the greatest of all-time teams. Remember, these teams before, like, like the 1945 Army team, they were 9-0. and But they didn't play in a bowl game. They didn't even play in a championship game. This team had to play Georgia in the SEC championship. They had to again play Oklahoma, and then they had to play Clemson. I mean, they, you know, they, this team, the Army team, beat Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium, and they beat Penn, and they beat Navy. And, and these are all ranked teams, but it wasn't like this type of level. I mean, people talked about the 1943 Notre Dame. I mean, I went back to look at all these teams and look who they played. And Notre Dame team was 9-1. and They lost to a team called Great Lakes. They beat Iowa by one point. And, and they beat a, a team that was number 3 and 2 and 3 at the time. But just nothing like what LSU had to go through. And even the 95 Nebraska team, when they had to play in, like, the, the championships in the old days, they, the one play two in the bowl game. They didn't have the championship game. And then another game, which is just – which they could they never play Penn State. Penn State was undefeated that year, and I think Penn State would have beat them. And then even like the 2011 Bama team, people think that's the greatest team of all time. They lost LSU during the year, and then they came back and won. I just think this is an unblemished record. They played every team. They dominated the whole year. They beat these teams. They played great teams from the Auburns, the Floridas, the Georgias, they, at Texas, the Alabama win, the Clemson. Just it's hard for me to say. I think whoever wants to say that they didn't have the best record of ever, the best team of all time, uh, I, I think it's hard to make a case for any other team. I, I agree with you. I, I can't. I, I was going through it myself. And, of course, you got fans of the Legions, and some people are taking some the Tim Tebow UF teams over these. And, and, of course, Miami has a strong case. But I'm with you, Ira. I don't know. Considering the body of work, if there's ever been a better team than this. Um, anything else on this one? No, no, no. I just think I was, I, I felt like, you know, just at the end of the game, walking down Bourbon Street, I, I just love the atmosphere. This team, they loved Aragonian. Here's a guy that didn't want to be hired by USC, uh, didn't want to be fired by Mississippi, totally loved at, at LSU for life. He's from LSU, from Louisiana, perfect. Joe Burrow didn't, wanted to play for Nebraska, didn't give a scholarship. Ohio State won, you know, three years, he's a backup, then comes here. Uh, the fans love this team. I, I listened to the talk radio, the sports talk radio after the game. I mean, Everyone loves this team. It's a, it's a team that is, they, just, they just, and that's, oh, I want to jump to the Odell Beckham Jr. What he was doing there was ridiculous because this is this team, this is this great team. I have no idea. It's nice that these players come back, but handing out money, jeopardizing people, making it about himself, going to the locker room, whether he hit someone on the butt or didn't hit someone in the butt. But what upset me more was Ed Oregoni and the coaches giving up, giving up pep talk to the team or, or like the summary, like, you guys are great. This was a great year. And Odell's talking. Like, why is he talking? He's not part of this team. Like, don't shut up. If you're lucky, you're in the locker room. That's what more anything they did that entire time was talk in that locker room over. Ed, this is Ed Oregonian has one chance to give that speech after you win the national championship and Oda Beckham Jr. If you're listening to it, it's like talking over the coach. Ira, you were irate about that too. I mean, this was all week. You were just like, I, I can't stand this guy. And it's true. He completely upstaged everything. He made a national championship on a team he's not on all about himself. And you wonder why I think smart Giants fans didn't really care to let the guy go uh, last year. Right, right. Um, so let's. You were at the 49ers game as well, and this it wasn't your first time there this season, and it also wasn't your best experience as far as NFL games go. Give me like three minutes. And let me go over about this stadium, because you know I've had experience of going to places. And if you don't understand something I'm saying, I hope just jump in, clarify it. Okay. So I, my purpose was to watch Kansas City, Tennessee. So I got up there early, got to the game super early, five hours before the game, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy a club seat, not the best seat in the house, but a nice club seat so I can go in the club, make sure I can watch the game, make sure it's everything. And I heard that they usually let the parking lots or whatever. I wasn't sure where the parking lots were, but I knew the, the gates opened three hours before, and that was 12.40, and the game started at 3.40, so I'm thinking, well, I would have time. Like there was, there was some, there was some issue where I would, I would have to miss like 25 minutes of the first game. But I think they probably let people in early. If this is an NFC Championship game, of course they would let people in. So I get to there, I don't know, four hours before the game. 
the, the line of cars is backed up to the expressway. Now, remember where this sits. It sits in an office park. There are just the most boring office buildings. Nobody lives there. There's two hotels, the Hyatt and the Hilton, that are, like, behind trees. There's no bars, no restaurants. It's the most sterile place you possibly – you have it at a, at a hospital, and there's more activity than this. There's <laughs> nothing going on in this place. But they back all the cars up because this is a playoff game. And unlike normal games, people like to get to playoff games early. So they're all backed up, and I'm thinking, it's a back to the expressway. Like, let the people in the parking lots. Like, this is the biggest. They didn't let people come into 1140 for a 340 game to tailgate. That's insanity. And that's why finally the police had to tell them, let's move it. I'm walking, like, literally my Uber driver dropped me off at the, at the expressway. I couldn't go anymore, and I walked, like, two and a half miles to go to the stadium. So I go in the stadium, and I'm thinking, go back to where the gates were. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I go on the, on the west side, and this, I'm on the east side, and this is the west side. So how do I get through? And I can't figure out how to get around to the other side of the stadium. There's no way. And I asked this guy, and he's wearing all these lanyards, like this pass, and he has access here, this, and he's in boss, and he's bossing people, and he's behind a chain-link fence because they're not letting you in the stadium. I said, how do you get to the other side of the stadium? You know, it's, stadiums are round. They usually have other sides, and there's half the people <laughs> sit on that side. And he's like, never been there. We've never been there. I mean, we're talking, about, we're talking about somewhere in China? I mean, are we talking about Simba and the Lion King, like the, uh, like the, the, the land of the, uh, the shadows? Like, it's the other side of the stadium. You seem to have passes that you can go anywhere you want in this entire stadium, and you never were intrigued to walk over to the other side of the stadium? I could not believe it. So we're standing there, and then the line, and I got there so early, and I'm like, okay, now, they must have Kansas City, Tennessee at 12 o'clock on these big screens all around. They're showing highlights of San Francisco. So nobody, like, nobody who was going to Kansas Kansas City, Tennessee, going to this game would care about Kansas City, Tennessee. What? Because they're football and they're going to play the team in the Super Bowl? Like, put it on a screen. I mean, how many times have I been to games when they've had the other games and of they course. put them on the screens? Absolutely. So where people are standing, they're trying to get on their phone. And I got there early and I look, then open the gates up. Why do they have to have these gates closed? So it's now three hours before. Their line is like a half a mile of people trying in line. And I'm like, I'm the 10th person. I feel so lucky. Whenever the gate opens, people are like trying to break through like it's a Jonas Brothers concert. So they're going through and finally they open the gates up and I rush right into the gates and I rush come in and then I go oh I better go get my pins because you know I like the pins and the merchandise so I go where the pins and the merchandise are and I go into that section and I and I go and I go I want to buy my pins and my shirts my stuff like that they had some stuff not great and they go two pins per transaction and then I go okay and I, I go well then I'm going to buy one shirt then buy another and then he goes oh no two per person and I'm like well how would you know who I am well we'll be we'll be watching you jeez <laughs> so I buy my two pins and I'm walking out this one guy had nobody to register so I said here's twenty dollars the pins are ten dollars a piece the the person who saw it ran the entire way over and said we actually exchanged it I was ready to walk out of the store they made me give my pins up and they gave me my money back and like <laughs> it's like we're, too, we're our eyes are on you I'm like oh that's I'm great that's the focus of this whole stadium is a pin so I come outside and all the people that were in line are now waiting to go in the stadium because this was just the exterior ring of the stadium. They couldn't even go in. So now you waited in line for hours, for an hour. They have to wait for another line because they're not opening the stadium until two hours before. You only could just go into this holding area. And then I go, okay, so I'm asking a normal thing. Where's the Foxcom Club? I knew what section I was at. You can't walk. So I walked around, and they're like, you couldn't walk from the base of the stadium around to the stadium, to that area that nobody goes to. Because the guy goes, well, you have to walk here and there. And it looked like it was sending me out of the stadium. Like, I don't need to go out of the stadium and then have to walk all the way through the stadium. This is insane. And I didn't ask, like, two people. I asked 12 people. I asked people that had supervisor levels. Nobody knew where the Foxcom Club was. And then finally I got up. They go, go up to the second level. So I went to the second level, walked around, and I noticed there's a zillion people working at all the different stores and this but the people weren't in yet why wouldn't they just let people in because they're all working at the stores and have to buy the stuff be at the stadium have the atmosphere but no they're just standing there and i went around all the places and bought all my pins you know i was waiting for them to have like someone arrest me for buying 10 pins and <laughs> walking around the stadium so i go to the other side i'm in front of one section 116 i'm standing in one of 16 i'm standing there and i look to the guy go where's the foxcom club and then they go, oh, it's on the other side of the stadium. Of course. I go, there is no way it's on the other <laughs> side. Just, it's impossible. Why would the club be on the other side? And then this guy goes, I start arguing. I go, do you know where the Foxham Club is? He goes, I have no idea. I've never heard of it. It must be a temporary club. Even though it's a permanent club. It's like, there's like, it's the, every seat from the 25 to the 45 on that side. <laughs> there's that's 20 yard lines of seats. sits in the Foxham Club. Then there's the other side of the stadium is uh, the, like the United Club. I mean, then what's neat about the stadium is they have clubs on the lower level and the middle level. 
level. And I'm like, where is it? And then he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, I'm the chief medical officer of the entire stadium. And I go, I don't know where the Foxhome Club is. I'm like, well, I mean, what if someone said they had a heart attack in the Foxhome Club? You should know where to go. I mean, this is crazy. I was just nuts. And then finally, I figured out that it's on the lower level. And I went there, and it's like, and then the worst thing is you get down to the Foxhome Club, and and then the TVs. They have many TVs to watch the game, but they're facing whoever designed it was like facing the wrong way. Like you could, people had to take the chairs and the tables and moving stuff all around. It was crazy to do. And then the big screens that they had there, instead of showing the game, were showing the LPGA. Like, why are you showing women's golf? Like the the Tennessee Kansas City games going on. Like it was crazy. And then the people are trying. All the other thing is that people are trying to buy things at the stands. So we're in Silicon Valley. Apple is located a few miles away. Microsoft. All these companies. Their cash registers didn't work. They said, oh, they've been breaking down all year. It's like, can't you find an engineer to make a cash register work? Like, I know people that run, like, you know, anybody has, like, a little uh, thing with an iPad. You can can run something. It was unbelievable. Horrendous. The worst experience. Awful. That's my point. Well, first of all, I never thought we'd get a Jonas Brothers and a Lion King reference in the same show, so that's exciting. But have you ever, Ira, had an experience that bad with incompetence as far as personnel goes at a stadium? Because usually they're pretty good. And this was, I, I swear, I don't think anyone there understood. And they had so many people. They literally had this one place had two registers. I took a picture. There were six people manning two registers. They're like, well, why don't you have other more registers? And the lines of the people. And I'm like, I felt like I was the only one. And then I bring it up to others. I don't know. I mean, I felt like I'd been everywhere. And I just thought it was the most horrific. Like, no one knew anything. Like, at least no, like this Foxcom Club thing is like this hidden place that no one heard. There, I mean, there's a 2,000 people in the club. Like, it's not this small <laughs> little thing. It was crazy. I mean, the fact that, like, Foxcom has to have a club. I mean, my friends joke, like, you have to assemble an Apple phone before you go to the club. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like Yahoo has a big club, too. Like, I use the only one who uses Yahoo. And they have, like, these weird places to have it. But, I mean, the stadium's nice. It's, it's great. I mean, I sat on the, I think it was, like, the 40-yard line, uh, and it was, like, uh, 30 rows up. Perfect seat, perfect viewing. Everything was great. But just the overall, oh, my gosh. I mean, just the worst. The, the fact that you can't find and then And then when I left, the stadium. It's like I had to ask for the Uber line. That was, I mean, they literally had the Uber line pointed up in the air. Like, I don't know. Do you have to jump high and then the Uber's <laughs> going to pick you up? Like, there was nobody had any clue about anything in the stadium. Like, it was like, the, it's like you go to golf tournaments and they might have the, 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 the like the, uh, um, PGA, the first time like there in 10 years. And people there understand where everything is better there. Like, I don't, these people had worked all year in the stadium and they don't know about the clubs and what sections and what sides. I was shocked. That's what is more surprising to me. This wasn't week one at a new Las Vegas stadium where everyone's new. This is a ninth game there this season, not including the preseason. You should have these kinks uh, ironed out by then. I, I was really surprised to see old Jerry Rice sprinting across the field. Well, the fans were good. You know, it's so funny is that they were proud that they sold the stadium out. I was like, before did they go, I was listening on the radio because I love listening to the radio, and they go two out minutes before the end, they go, this game is a sellout. I'm like, uh, it's an NFC championship game. Like, <laughs> it's a sellout. Like, you don't go to the Patriot game and like, this is a sellout. Or could you imagine Heinz Field? Like, this is a sellout. Yeah, in California, too, not ago. Cincinnati. <laughs> it's a pretty big market. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, a sellout. You guys are happy that you sold your game out? Like, that's pathetic, really. But Ricky Waters Ricky Waters uh, did the foghorn. I love this foghorn where they blow the foghorn. Jerry Rice sprints 100 yards. He looked like he could go in the game. He ran so fast. I don't know why they did so suit him up at, like, 50, so 55 years old. He looked fantastic. The Packers had James Lofton and Jordy Nelson for the coin toss, and the flyover was awesome. There was this plane. I'm trying to figure out. I couldn't figure out what it was. It's probably some secret, secret plane. Huge, like, bomber that, like, went right over the stadium. I got a great picture. Uh, boys to men singing the national anthem, and uh, it was pretty cool. Like the whole opening, I love this. I love I love all the festivities and the excitement for that. I missed the whole pregame warmups because, of course, I'm watching the Tennessee Kansas City game in the club. That's the reason why I did it that way. But um, but uh, but sort of that. I mean that that I watched all that, but I didn't watch the warmups. Uh, time's getting away from us so quick as it always does on this show. It's 7:44. Ira on sports on the True Oldies channel. So Ira, let's talk about the game. Uh, to me. <laughs> The, the run game of, of San Francisco and just the offensive line and defensive line had their way the entire game. You know, it was one of those things where it's hard to remember the 49ers on the first possession were stopped on third and one because I think that was the only time they were stopped the entire – it would seem like the entire game. Yeah, until the because fourth. After, after Green Bay was stopped, I mean, 
that they had, you know, uh, Garoppolo threw for 70, 69 yards for the game. 30 yards were in, like, the first two minutes of the game. He threw a 30-yard pass to Diva Samuel. So after that, he threw 39. It was like a, when you watch these high school football games and you see a quarterback go, like, two for four or whatever, like, it's that, that type of feel. And most start runs, 36-yard touchdown run on third and eight. You know, they, they, it just shows you what the confidence that the uh, 49ers had. They run on third and eight from like the, the third, you know, they, they on the 36 yard line. They just run the ball knowing that they're going to. Now, maybe they were just trying to set up for a field goal, but he just runs it. I mean, if you would see the tackling when you're in person, the Packers were pathetic. They didn't try to tackle. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Oh, Most it was bad on from, TV, too. <laughs> he's from Daytona, Florida. He went to Purdue for four years. He's been cut by the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Browns, the Jets, and the Bears. He didn't just play for all these teams. He was cut by them, not traded, cut. Eagles, Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, Jets, and Bears. This year he had 700 yards rushing, but they, but anyone who knows fantasy knows that it's been like a Breida, Coleman. You know, Breida was the star running back, but he fumbled the ball all the time, so they got rid of him. But he had never had a 100-yard. He had one 100-yard game his whole career. And, I mean, his whole time in Purdue, the most he had was 759 yards. He almost had that in this game. <laughs> it was whatever. But then, uh, uh, but Rodgers was just. I mean, this again, I, 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 just, I think he's overrated. I think he's been overrated. I think he's had bad playoff games. And I'm not saying his defense wasn't terrible. But he's got to, when he realizes he's got to be better, and he's not just better, but just not be horrendous. I mean, he let himself get sacked. When Bosa sacked him, that got every, everybody excited. Uh, and then Jimmy G, just like, I think he got benefit from penalties. Like on that one play where he was sacked, but then he got, like, there was a roughing the passer, and they were able to kick that field goal, make it 10 nothing, uh, And then... You know, Keenan Williams sacked Rodgers again on the next drive. It made it fourth and 24. He fumbled the ball. I mean, this could have got even worse then because the ball was on the ground and the, and the 49ers almost got it. But then, uh, then the 49ers drove down and Coleman gets hurt. So Tevin Coleman, who's supposedly their lead back, is injured. He was a separated shoulder, and he's just taken out on a cart. What does Mostar do in the next carry? Carries it in for a run. So at that point, they're up 17 nothing, 135 yards to 23 yards. The Niners had no runs of four yards or less. And uh, Green Bay gets the ball back. What happens? Rodgers fumbles the snap. Not just fumbles against someone, he just fumbled the snap. Now, how when you're down 17 to nothing in a game? You are supposedly the greatest quarterback of all time. You cannot fumble the snap in a game like that. San Francisco goes down, kicks a field goal 20 to nothing. Uh, I mean, really, at that point, they had just run the ball uh, 17 times and passed four times. And then uh, Green Bay muffs the, muffs the punt and uh, the kickoff. And uh, then, what does horrend- then Rodgers' interception at the end of that first half was terrible. I mean, just a terrible interception, uh, setting up another touchdown by Mostart, 27 nothing. I mean, it was like 225 yards to 93 yards, uh, 27 nothing. Aaron was, Rodgers was 0 for 4. Mostart in the first half was 14 for 160 for three touchdowns, which was the greatest playoff performance in the history of NFL in a, in a, for a first half. Uh, and then, you know, in the second half, it was – it was uh, Green Bay came back and made a 27-17. But this is where Kyle Shanahan, losing to New England when he was uh, the offensive coordinator for Atlanta yeah. in the Super Bowl, he really knew how to milk it. I mean, using the running game, using everything. Even when Green Bay scored to make it 34-13, uh, it took like five minutes, that whole drive, to make it 34-13. And, uh, it was, and then that, well, he did what Vrabel and Belichick does. Like when they went to punt the ball, they ran off another like minute and a half by taking the punt penalty and not the penalty, and, which I'm going to change the rule with it did the lay a game and the procedure. I mean, I, I, you know, there were some bad mistakes. I mean, that 64-yard pass that Rodgers threw to Adams over Richard Sherman was a disaster. But uh, went down to whatever. But, you know, after that, it was, it was just, you know, it was like he, uh, Garoppolo did what he had to do. I mean, at the end of the fourth quarter, he threw it to Kittles uh, for a pass, and then they get a pass interference penalty. And when they kicked the field goal at 37-20 with 3.31 to go, it was, it was over. Uh, but, I mean, Rodgers' final stats look great. I mean, third, not great, but 31 for 39. But he was just terrible. The two interceptions, the fumble, uh, and uh, just did not play well. And then and, and Garoppolo, six for eight, 69 yards. That was all that he had. But, but Mostard ended up running for 220 yards, four touchdowns, the second-best playoff game ever in the history of, uh, of, uh, for running backs. Uh, and uh, just, uh, just, I mean, I, again, I just feel like this was Rodgers is just overrated. He's lost to the Falcons, Arizona, the Seahawks, San Francisco twice. 
Uh, now, this is the third time in the playoffs he's lost to them in the Giants since he won the Super Bowl in 2010. So, I mean, he is a great quarterback. He's an all-time great. But to put him as an elite quarterback when he can't get to the Super Bowl, when he's had teams that, are, that he should be able to get to the Super Bowl with, I just think he's an overrated I mean, he does this in the playoffs. He doesn't have his best games. And they compare him to Peyton Manning. I think Peyton Manning's a much better quarterback, and I think he's played better in the playoffs. He had to lose to Brady. He's been losing to guys that really aren't that, you know, he lost to Colin Kaepernick in the playoffs. It, it is crazy, and definitely, you know, there was a lot of talk about <clears throat> does Aaron Rodgers need to at least get to the Super Bowl here to cement his legacy as the best of all time. I don't even know if that would have done it, um, but he surely didn't get it done uh, yesterday. Um, oh, you want to move on to Tennessee and, and Kansas City, Ira? Because this game yeah, was yeah, – yeah, yeah, this yeah, game no, was think, be- yeah, it, it was better than the score line. And, and as someone was rooting for the Titans, there was a real, you know, a quarter there where I was like, you know what, they could do this, and of course they didn't. Well, I, I'm trying to watch the game on my phone, run in the stadium, and then I did watch some of, some of it. So this is one thing I feel bad about. But, uh, you know, the fourth and two, I saw that play where Tanny Hill did the Humphreys on that first down, you know, going on the fourth down when Henry rushed for a touchdown. They go up 10 nothing. I felt like they should have ran the ball. I mean, they really got away from the running. In a game where Tannehill threw 31 times and Henry only rushed 19, they sort of just didn't – they didn't call a great game. And I, I give Kansas City a ton of credit. I mean, they play great for that. But, uh, but they just – I just felt like Tennessee lost this game really when Houston couldn't hold the 24 nothing the lead. If Houston would – if they could have made a trade for Henry to give it to Houston at that point and say, okay, we're, you got Henry now, please finish them off. Like, I think that's what they needed. They needed Houston to upset Kansas City, and then they would have gone into Houston and won that game. But when Houston lost that game. They just they, that that hurt a lot. Um, I mean, Tennessee though they, they you know they they came in there when when they made it 10-7 when Kansas City you know the quick strike offense everything you know they were able to go down there and uh, 15 play 75 yard drive uh, nine minutes and seven seconds and, and they scored make it 17-7. But Mahomes at the end of the first half you know again touchdown to Hill Tennessee punts and then they get the ball back on the 14 with two minutes to go and he passes and then he runs 27 that amazing run at the end of the first half for a touchdown, 21-17. And then the second half, on that third and one, is like that in the beginning of the second half when it was third and one and Henry was stopped. And then there was a holding penalty, and then Tenniel was scrambled and got hit really hard. They tried to fake punt, and that did you know, like they, they I'm sorry, they did to but they, like they, by Sorensen who made that play like they did on the fake punt. But uh, but then uh, but then they you know Kansas City went down, made it 28-17, and then they ended up doing it you know a 60-yard pass to Watkins, 35-17. The only thing I thought Kansas City did poor was when there was Tennessee was fourth and eight on their own 22 with six minutes to go. They're they're down what 18 points. And you knew, I thought it was weird, like, they're not competing the game. They went to punt the ball. Like, I knew it was going to either be a fake or whatever. And they ran a fake punt and got it. And I just think, Kansas City, how do you let that happen? Like, I would have everybody ready for a fake. It doesn't matter where the ball rolls. They're on their, you know, he's not going to kick the ball to the end, to the goal line. That was a terrible, uh, terrible play on their special teams because it actually kept it a little bit closer because Tennessee went down and scored and made it 35-24. But, um, but that, was, that was probably the biggest problem was that they got out to a slow start again. Again, you know they found they they filled it behind ten nothing to Tennessee and twenty four nothing to uh, to Houston. But boy, Mahomes, I guess you can give him thirty five nothing and he'll come back and and win the game. Yeah, he's proved that <laughs> there is no lead that Patrick Mahomes can't topple, and I think he definitely cemented himself. No matter what happens in the Super Bowl, he's the best quarterback in the league. You can rule out the clutchness and all that, which he does have anyways. But if you just had to say pure quarterback, there's nobody better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, it's, just, it's unbelievable. You watch. You watch. He's. He's. I mean. People, I mean, he should. I mean, if it wasn't getting hurt, I think he'd be the MVP over Lamar Jackson. But, uh, but he could just do so many more things than Lamar Jackson can do. And, and, and he just the play can completely break down. And people were saying, well, he has so many weapons. I'm telling you, I, I think if you gave Patrick Mahomes anybody, I think he'd do. I mean, right now he is in his zone, and uh, and he's he's playing awesome. Oh no, I, I agree with you. It, it helps that he's got the one of the most talented, uh, you know, sets of skill players and uh, receivers in the league. But he could be on any team. He's going to be there. He, he's going to be making these guys better. He's just that good. So, Ira, I like to admit when I'm wrong, and I like to always hype myself when I'm right. I was looking at the line: Connor McGrave, uh, Connor McDavid versus uh, Connor McGregor. Sorry, versus uh, Cowboy Cerrone, and Cowboy was plus two seventy. And I'm like, well, McGregor hasn't fought in forever. Like, why wouldn't I bet this underdog here? And boy, was I wrong. Well, it was one of those things where McGregor is so popular in this sport. I mean, he is 
typically is UFC. I mean, I'm at bars. They were packed. Everyone I know around the country is like, everyone came out. I'm going around town. People are saying, are you going to watch the fight? You're going to watch the fight. I mean, to think that in 2013, this guy was a plumber. A plumber. Like, it, it was, it's unbelievable. He started as an apprentice in 2006 as an apprentice plumber. He uh, became a legend in Ireland in 2008 to 13. He only he didn't start fighting the UFC until 2013, beating Holloway and they beat Poirier. And then in 90, he beat in 2015 Aldo, 13-second win. And then he lost to Diaz and beat Nate Diaz in a rematch. And then his last fight that he won was in 2016. I mean, he really, in his long career or whatever, he really didn't have to beat Eddie Alvarez. But then he had that big money fight against Mayweather. And then he, had, then he got killed by Khabib Nagamubov in October of 2018. And then since then, he's been in a melee. Uh, after the fight, he tried to, uh, took a guy's cell phone at the Fountain Blue. He beat someone at a pub. He uh, attacked the, the, van, the, the plan for UFC uh, with 20 thugs to try to, and broke the windows of a, of a UFC car. Uh, but then, you know, for him to get his act together and come in against Soroma, this was a perfect fighter. He was not crazy. He was not wild going into the fight. I think he appreciates and likes Cerrone. But, I mean, you talk about breaking down a fight. It was, it was very simple. It was, uh, so, you know, he, I, said, I said if Cerrone can hang out for the first round, he has a chance to win this fight. And it was, it was over because, he, because uh, McGregor rushes in. Cerrone met his match and just, you know, and, and just grappled him and, and grabbed him. But then McGregor is like throwing elbow, not elbow, shoulders and throws three times, puts his shoulder and hits Cerrone, gives him a black eye on that. They back up, and then a left kick to the head, and Cerrone's out, and it knocks him down. And it was over, you know, 40 seconds. But it, but it was uh, just it was like one of those things that people I don't think you see a lot of UFC fights, they end fast a lot, and they're not ready for that. They're like, oh, is it over? <laughs> like, is it done? Uh, but that was uh, just a dominant performance. And, you know, a lot of people think Cerrone just gave up. I mean, if you look at when the kick was, he didn't raise his hand to block the kick. He almost, like, took the punch. I thought that was like like why did his he why he knew where where uh, McGregor was 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 aiming very high and he just like let him hit him hit him in his head so but but you know after the fight Tyrone's grandmother is hugging Conor McGregor I mean he handled it perfectly in terms of you know, like I'm a more established person I'm not wild and crazy and he made what eighty million dollars for the fight so that was pretty good no absolutely it was it was an exciting fight I don't mind the forty second fights when they're uh, when they're that exciting and I'd never seen shoulders used like that before so that was uh, interesting to me we got to talk about this ira because it's been this could be the biggest scandal in the history of major league baseball and the astros are embedded in it and if you're a yankee fan a dodger fan you got to be feeling a little bit slighted by this whole thing no i'm i'm gonna take the counter i really think it is big because people are making it big but I just, I just don't think it. I mean, it's big because they have decided to fire the managers and everything. But I just don't. Now, I mean, look, in 2017, the Astros beat the Yankees and the Dodgers. Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora were the ringleaders. Alex Cora was a bench coach. Cora Beltran was a player. Then Cora becomes the manager of the Red Sox. And then in 2018, the Red Sox beat the Yankees, the Astros, and the Dodgers, with Cora being the manager. But then what happens the next year? Beltran becomes the assistant GM of the Yankees. So you're not thinking that he's telling like, – like the point is that Beltran, who was the ringleader of this whole thing, the Yankees are like, oh, we lost to the Astros. You had the ringleader who set this whole system up on your team. Like he was a Yankee assistant to the – do you think he not, didn't tell Cashman, let's, let's, let's make our signs better because they're going to steal our signs. Like I just – Again, all these teams, I think that the Yankees, they cannot be lily white in this. There's no way. I mean, I think everybody cheats. These, just the Red Sox and the Astros maybe cheat a little bit more but got caught. But this just goes on. I think it was everywhere. And, and I think I'm more, I'm more shocked more I read about this with the suspensions, the fines, and the fact that now Beltran for the – you know, and, and I think what Manfred did, though, I do give him credit. If he's going to do something, he did not want it – like with the bounty gate with the New Orleans Saints, they find they got rid of Sean Payton for a year because they, they, the, they had bounties on players like Brett Favre, and Peyton was, was suspended for a year, the defensive coordinator was suspended for a year, and the players were suspended for four games. Well, the players don't have a union, so they couldn't fight it back. But the, but the, uh, but the, uh, uh, the players had a union, but the coaches don't. So they, but the players fought that, and it dragged and dragged on. I think that's why he didn't go after the players, because he knew the union was going to push back. And the fact that every, all the players are involved in on every team, he just didn't want to go there with that. 
No, I understand. I, I do think it's a little bit bigger deal. They're using technology. When, once that comes in, everyone's going to you know try to get a little Vaseline on the ball to get more more spin on a split finger. But just the use of technology and, and the fact that they're caught red-handed and nobody else was, to me, it is a big deal. And, and it all goes back to Jose Altuve sitting uh, change-up against Sorian, I mean, against uh, Chapman in the ninth inning and hitting a bomb off. And when you knew that should have been a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, something <laughs> tipped him off, and that's just always well, going to stick in my side. The one thing is, I went back and looked. In 1876, the Hartford Dark Blues used to hide a person. This is 1876. The Hartford, you like Hartford. The Dark Blues, whatever the name of their team, hit a person in a shack <laughs> in the outfield and with binoculars and would give the signs. In 1897, George Stallings of the Phillies hit in center field with a telescope. In 1951, the New York Giants overcame with the Bobby Thompson home run. They think they used Morse code and a telescope in order to give that. Um, it's like in 1997, the Mets were accused of it, the Phillies were accused of it. The problem that really what got worse was in 2014 when they started the video replay. They actually had to move. See, these players, when, they, when, they, when the uh, coaches want to challenge something, they have to look at it. So they actually have the video replay right near them. So the videos are there. So they're looking at these videos. They have a monitor, and they're using that. And that's what began in 2014. Now, in 2017, the Red Sox were using the Apple Watches, where someone would look at the video, they would send the Apple Watches. and they, they, So they got caught in 2017 before Cora got there. They got caught for it. And, and, man, and, and, and man, Jennifer, the, the uh, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, did, did not did not suspend like uh, Manfred did not support did not suspend anybody for the Red Sox. Just said, okay, don't do it again. I don't think people just like Deflategate. I don't think anyone realized that people are going to suspend it for a whole year on this. And uh, I mean, I was reading a bit. I watched something on YouTube about Bauer, the pitcher. He was talking how everybody knew the Astros were doing this, but other teams. I mean, it was. I think it's. I just think everybody does this, and that's why uh, it wasn't that big a deal within the players. But now that it came out to the public, people are like, they're cheating, they're cheating, they're cheating. But that's just you know, I, I have a I have a different view on this whole thing. You know what didn't didn't get brought up in all this cheating was St. Louis getting caught hacking the computer systems of the Astros to steal their you know minor league and developmental stuff and that to me it's the same thing it's it's electronic espionage which is something a little bit worse than i think just stealing signs so uh you know it's funny to think the difference where the st louis didn't really get punished nearly as bad as uh, houston did real quick ira uh, australian open is underway i think our girl serena got a win this morning um, yes, I mean the the the, op- the big match is Coco Golf beat Venus Williams. We're going to see if Coco can have a can have a good run in this. Uh, that'll be uh, in, in terms of she's 15 years old. Of course, she, we saw her at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open last year. And two by the end of this week, she'll be faced Naomi Osaka, who was former number one in the third round, and that should be a uh, that should be a, just a tremendous match. And um, Federer, Nadal, uh, Federer, and Djokovic are going to switch to meet in the semis. They should actually pretty cruise there, where they should not lose this week. And then because the, for the first they play, of course, seven matches is the first the first few uh, matches of this week. It goes two weeks. Uh, on the other side. Nadal is a top seed with Karagos and then Dominic Thiem's in that quarter. And then Medved, uh, who we know from last year in the U.S. Open final against Nadal, they would actually meet in the semifinals and if they possibly get there. But, uh, no, I love the Open. It's just hard. It's hard to watch because it's at 3.30 in the morning, and it's this time you're, you're, when, you're, when you're across the world. That's, where, that's why, they, they, when, that's why they, the Olympics that are not in the, our time zone are a mess because it's just hard to watch it because of the timing. You don't want to go up at 3 in the morning to watch. Most people don't want to watch tennis anytime, let alone 3 in the morning. <laughs> but I'll get up at 3 in the morning and watch. Oh, we, we know you're up watching. I, um, real quick, you, you got really excited, and so did I. Phil Mickelson moving to Jupiter. All the talent in golf is coming here. All the talent is. I mean, it's, and then they're talking, Jordan Spieth says, I might want to get a house there, too. And they're all going to Jupiter Island. I mean, it's like, and there should be like this Jupiter, forget the Ryder Cup. I think it should be like the Jupiter Island versus the rest of the world. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, and now we're going to start talking golf. I mean, we have the Farmers Open at San Diego this coming week, Torrey Pines, uh, Tigers in it. Uh, then there's going to be the Waste Management Phoenix. That's the crazy one. Everyone's drinking in. There's 700,000 people going nuts. It's not that big a tournament. But then AT&T Pebble Beach, which is uh, the Pro-Am, which is, a, which is a good tournament. Tiger probably won't be in that. But then the Genesis in L.A., Tiger will be there. The World Golf Championships. Then we got the Honda. I mean, this is each week. I mean, we're going from Pebble Beach to Genesis, the World Golf in New Mexico, the Honda, Bay Hill in Orlando, then the Players Championship. 
So this is uh, now, you know, what, it's time for these golfers to get ready and go, and, uh, and, and we're going to see, and this all gears up to uh, the Masters, where it's going to be, I mean, hopefully everyone's healthy and Tiger's going to make another run uh, for uh, 16. Ira, before we wrap it up, Zion Williamson, biggest prospect since LeBron James, set to get his first NBA game under his wing. That's going to happen on Wednesday. You excited? I'm very excited. I mean, come on. You have to be. And ESPN keeps telling you. I mean, the ratings for the NBA have been down this year. One of the reasons is because we talked about this before, how LeBron and all the good teams are in the West, and they play so at 1040 at night, so it's hard for anyone to watch. But, um, but no, I'm pumped to see how LeBron's going to do. Uh, it's quietly, John Moran from Memphis is a very good year. We rookie of the year. But, I mean, we've been waiting. The season's half over, and there's no Zion. So we've got to see this, and I'm really pumped for that. Uh, you know what's weird on TV today? Zion's son plays for Sierra Canyon, and they played on TV, and Zion and was in, in Massachusetts. And LeBron was watching the game, and, and i got to give LeBron credit. I mean, he was just like a dad watching his son. His son comes off the bench, even though he's just a freshman. He's only in ninth grade. And he comes off the bench, didn't score a point, but LeBron like real supportive of the other players and his son is like you know under with all this pressure i mean he passes the ball he doesn't try to be like my dad's the greatest player in the world i got to shoot all the time like it's really it was like really good to see they lost the game and and lebron's there but i just i mean lebron gets criticized sometimes at these games but this is the first time i actually watched sierra canyon play and i was impressed with with everything i was impressed with everything his son the team the players lebron i thought it was a nice i mean i i don't want anyone to criticize lebron as opposed with his son and with his team because it was really nice to see but zion wednesday night san antonio against san antonio they're playing in new orleans can't wait for that ira where are you headed this week um i'm not sure i mean this is a busy week i i'm not i, I mean i might go to the pro bowl on sunday in orlando but i'm just gearing up for the super bowl we're going to talk next week we have so much to talk about we're going to have some guests on we're going to get ready this is going to be great to preview the super bowl it's going to be super to have we're going to have i bet three or four guests on so i'm really excited the super bowl is in miami um and uh, hopefully we'll go to radio row and get some interviews and things like that so i'm really pumped for this week for this for this rule in miami they they spent some money you know they were told they weren't going to have it back unless they fix the stadium so they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to get the stadium back so i'm sure it's going to be this is going to be a great two weeks in florida we are out of time here on ira on sports on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night ira on sports